0: Sexual violence is complicated to report. A false accusation includes a lifetime stigma, one that can ruin reputations. But the mirror works both ways. Victims, particularly women, are sometimes re-shamed into bearing the guilt of having deserved or desired the assault. And while some perpetrators get caught, punished or simply exposed, others remain in the shadows to re-offend. When writing about sexual violence, the art of professionalism, courtesy, and care must be woven into the tapestry of details. And while that sounds Sounds journalistic, the reality of reporting sexual violence is extremely heart-wrenching. How does one respect one's privacy and very often shame? What words provide comfort to a subject shaking with tears? What narrative scripts an incident that forever changed the trajectory of a life? My story begins with Rebecca, an elegant and eloquent wife and mother who buried a haunting secret for decades until a social media post rocked her world. The post ignited Rebecca to contact the Jacksonville authorities to report an assault that occurred almost three decades ago. That report then landed on my station desk through a Jacksonville City Special Victims Advocate. Within minutes of cordial greetings, I knew I would accept the assignment. And in doing so, I met brave as brave could be. My questions were simple and straightforward. Rebecca shyly admitted that her heart had been nudging her to go public even before the social media outreach. I just didn't know if I could speak out, she said. Or how? How does one purge one's soul? I couldn't choose the time, only to learn that the time would eventually choose me. That timing began with a social media post to Backseat Becky, a name used to bully a 16-year-old dark-haired beauty. Rebecca was labeled Backseat Becky by a girl from a St. Johns County high school. Oddly enough, it wasn't even the school Rebecca attended. The budding entertainer attended Douglas Anderson School of the Arts, a school that required an audition for acceptance. Her crime for the punishment scrawled on the bathroom walls and floors of that other school. She had unknowingly kissed the boy of another.
1: The females actually stalked me. They came to my home. These were very popular girls. My mother came inside and she goes, oh, so-and-so is here to see you. And I could just see that my mother was so impressed that these girls wanted to come and see her daughter. You know, I had to play and like, okay, I'm going to go out and speak to them and say hi. And they told me that I was going to get into the car and they were going to take me to the woods and beat the crap out of me for, you know, messing with so-and-so's boyfriend. The cost of not letting them beat me up was they were going to go in the house and tell my mother. I was so scared and upset and really just sad. And I think in that moment, I just thought, this is never going to stop. So I went to my father's briefcase and pulled out his revolver and went to my bedroom and I just sat there holding it. I can't say that I was going to kill myself. I don't know what I was doing. I was so tired and so confused and so just distraught. I wanted it all to go away so badly that it didn't occur to me that there could have ever been the future that I have now. My sister, my little annoying sister who never knocked on my bedroom door before coming in, walked in my room and she saw me sitting there with the gun in my hand and she started freaking out. The phone starts ringing. It's the girls. She answers, tell Becky we're coming, tell Becky we're coming. So my sister, my little sister, she got on the phone with these girls. You leave my sister alone. My dad's a cop. Like she just came out 14 years old, just like a mama bear. I think that definitely did what I needed it to do for that day.
0: Her parents would never know about the gun or the bullying. Although the bullying ceased, the destruction campaign did not. Rebecca attended a party. With a crush in the wings, she missed curfew. Fearing parental consequences, she then made very teenage choices.
1: So I went to a friend's house and I stayed the night. And so then it just became this snowball where I was like, now I'm even in more trouble, so I'm just not going to go home. I took my car and I drove where one of my sisters lived. She called the police on me. The police officer said, you need to calm down and you need to go outside and sit down. She had stolen my car keys. And I remember sitting on those steps going, oh, really? No, I'll show you. I have legs. And so I just start running. And around midnight, I decided I was just going to walk down Cassett Avenue and there were two young teenage boys in the car and they were like, are you okay? And I said, no, not really. I ran away from home. Don't have anywhere to go. I don't know what to do. And the boy driving the car was like, I can sneak you in my bedroom and in the morning you can call someone to come get you. So I go home with the one boy. He was totally appropriate. Woke up the next morning and walked to the living room and he said, here's the phone. And I call my friend, this older boy that I had been friends with since childhood. So he comes and he gets me and he says, well, so-and-so's parents are out of town. So we're going to go over there, hang out. You can shower and stuff. Then we're gonna to go to this party in Ponte Vedra. It's all gonna be okay. And I'm thinking, wow, these are my knights in shining armor. These guys are coming to my rescue. It is crazy to think that this long ago, 29 years, I, I can remember so many details, so vivid. I just remember standing in the shower and the hot water running on me and just feeling like clean, putting on the clean clothes and just feeling so refreshed. And and in my mind, I thought, well, I'm just gonna figure this out. But right now, I'm just gonna have fun. I'm gonna to go to this party. I'm gonna be a teenager and just forget about it today and so I come out the younger boy was making drinks and I I got intoxicated and we got in the car and I was in the back seat and they were both in the front seat so I was laying across the back of the car and then we turn onto this road and we get there the back door is being opened and the older boy is pulling me out of the back seat from under my armpits just dragging me out I look over and I see a mattress. And I knew the mattress because the mattress was the older boy's mother who had just died very suddenly. And they put me down on top of it. It was so bizarre. The older boy was holding me down something shifted in him. I wasn't a person. He wasn't looking at me. He was speaking only to the other boy. When I would ask questions, what's happening? He wouldn't address me. I was no longer a person. I was a thing. He had disassociated our friendship, my individuality. I was just a thing that he was about to use.
0: After being assaulted by both boys, the now wet, cold, and disheveled 16-year-old was told to get in the back seat. The trio drove to a party, stopping only to let her vomit on the side of the road. Upon arrival, the boys exited the the car. Stunned, she remained in the back seat until friends coaxed her out to join them for a ride. Unbeknownst to her, she was driven to her parents. While nervous, she was grateful to be in a safe space. There would be no conversation about the events of the day. She would meet the older boy at a party later that summer. Upon seeing him, she turned to leave. He raced to grab her arm and threatened her to keep her mouth shut. He was confident, she said, that no one would ever believe backseat Becky anyway. Frightened, Rebecca harbored a secret that would curtail her dreams. It would take years to understand the devastating toll the incident would wreak on her future.
1: I was going through some pictures at my mom's house because I was looking for high school photos of myself. I wanted to see the girl with the mask on, the girl that was smiling in front of her car before going to school. And that girl was so broken inside, but you couldn't tell when you looked at her. And I came across a report card, and I am failing everything. I can't even pass my acting class. I got an F. Looking back, I'm like, why didn't anyone ask me if I was okay? Nobody did that. Nobody said, are you okay? Why is she skipping school all the time? Why is she not turning in her assignments? Why is she not prepared with her monologue? No one thought to ask that of me. Maybe if one person would have said something, and I had a couple teachers, one specifically, who was like, I'm really disappointed in you. And I look back as a 46-year-old woman, and I'm like, how could you have not asked me why? And said, this doesn't make sense. She didn't just wake up one day and decide to throw it all away. Something had to have happened. That's been, I think, the biggest... The most painful thing in all of this, I have to be honest, the thing that makes me cry more than the assault is that they took my future. They took my dream. I still have it. I'm still working towards it. It didn't stop me, but it stunted me for so long. I was broken. Junior and senior year, it just got worse. I had to start finding things to make myself feel better, and weed wasn't helping anymore, so let's— do LSD, cocaine, that was a bad problem for me. When I look back now, the sexual assault was just the beginning of what they took from me. They went on with their lives and had no regard what had been stolen from me. A 30-minute chunk of time that had completely restructured my world.
0: Having barely graduated, she moved to New York to become the triple threat singer, dancer, and actress she dreamed of becoming. And then she met a boy, a kind, respectful soul who fell in love with her fragmented and all. He
1: ended up having to leave school and go back home to Minnesota. I, you know, said goodbye to him, and I had a really bad night doing drugs, and I thought I was going to die. So the next morning, I went to a diner and I walked by this table. This girl looks at me as I'm walking by. She goes, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? Are you okay? God told me to stop and ask if you're okay. I just broke. No, I'm not okay. And you're the first person who's asked me that. (laughs) And I don't even know you. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. I didn't actually remember that story till I started telling it. I sat and I talked to these kids for a while and kind of just told them about my life and what would have been going on, and we all held hands, and they prayed with me, and they said, God has never left you. God has never left you. He's always been here. And I remember feeling ashamed Why would he still be here? I've done all these horrible things. I've been doing drugs. I've been having sex with people. I've been doing bad stuff. She just reassured me that in that moment, I could still count on him and it was gonna be
0: okay. The next day, Rebecca called her parents to help her come home. Once in Florida, she became clean and sober and married the boy who exploded her heart. Empowered to champion her own spirit, she leaned into her faith and became, as she says, renewed. Once I recognized the assault as the catalyst for my behavior without boundaries, I promised myself that they had taken enough, she says. Enough. The couple then moved to Minnesota, where she stepped right back into the arts. The marriage dissolved amicably eight years later. Now 28, Rebecca moved to New York City and flourished as a single independent woman focused on achieving her dreams. Ryan, her now second husband, had already entered the picture. The couple moved to L.A. with a family plan in tow. Eight miscarriages later, Rebecca sought therapy as she leaned into her faith harder than ever before.
1: 100% on my relationship with God. That moment that that girl told me, in the diner, God has a plan. He has a plan for you and he's never left you and he's never going to. And that moment in my life has helped me through so many times because I'm like, if he didn't leave me back then, why would he leave me
0: now? The couple eventually adopted. Nine months to the day they spoke to the agency, Rebecca's beautiful baby girl was placed in her arms. Life was good. Backseat Becky had been dead for a very long time. The couple moved back to New York to feed her creative animal. The new family enjoyed life while the news around her began to haunt her. There were quite a few high-profile kid suicides in the
1: news. And every single time one of these young kids would kill themselves. The story would talk about how they were either severely bullied or sexually assaulted. And I would look at these children's faces and I would just cry, looking into the eyes of this child that didn't know in that moment that they could still have an incredible life and future, that that moment was only just that. A moment children don't have the emotional or the mental capacity to understand past the moment and so these children pick up a rope or a gun or the pills or whatever and in that moment they make a decision that they can never ever ever take back there was a girl named Phoebe she was from Ireland and they bullied her so badly that she hung herself I was Phoebe. I knew in that moment I got to stop sitting on it because it happened for a reason. And God put me through it for a reason. I can't be the only survivor of my own thing.
0: The creative writer blogged about the bullying Backseat Becky and the assault. Describing herself as a survivor was difficult, she said. But she truly believed that by sharing her story, she would help silent survivors on their arduous journey of healing. The response was overwhelming. And then out of the blue, the older boy reached out to Backseat Becky in those words on social media.
1: And I realized I needed to know what my legal options still were.
0: She said her motives did not include revenge, money, or jail. My voice needed to be heard, she said. I had a 16-year-old in my soul that needed my love, my protection, and my promise that I would never be ashamed of what happened to me. I didn't do anything, but something truly awful had been done to me. She contacted the Jacksonville State Attorney's Office. To no one's surprise, the statute of limitations for prosecution had expired. But I could still go down to the station
1: and look at a detective and say, this happened to me. I walked into the police station yesterday, terrified. My knees were shaking. My mouth was dry. And the gentleman at the front desk called someone and he says, somebody be right with you. Have a seat. Not even 10 minutes after I sat down, this woman walks in. She said, I'm here to report a sexual assault. And I thought, my God. Two in one day on Monday morning. So she sat down next to me and I can hear her sniffling. And then I can hear her quietly crying. What are the chances that here I am, a survivor, and I know that I am, sitting next to this woman that clearly just went through her sexual assault? How can I not say anything to her? So I looked over and I just said, I'm here for the
0: same reason as you. You're going to be okay. And you are so brave. Both boys, now men, were confronted by the detectives. Nothing could or would be done, but the assault was now made public. Despite knowing that nothing could be done, the confrontation gave the devoted wife and mother a new step, one of many on her path to heal. I conclude in Becky's own words, At an age so vulnerably young, I became entwined in a web of ugliness, disloyalty, and the loss of my innocence. I never imagined that journaling backseat Becky would lead me to embrace pieces of my heart and soul I thought buried forever. I never realized the depth and rawness of the wound created by those who chose to steal my voice. But sharing my story gave a frightened and broken sixteen-year-old back her voice. Though the time for justice against my perpetrators has passed, they've now been confronted by law enforcement. They know that I spoke up. I am no longer silenced. My voice they did not steal. I am a survivor, no longer shamed or afraid of her past. They did not break me. I thank God every day that backseat Becky jumped into the front seat, took hold of the wheel, and drove off into the sunset. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.